I would really like to say that that's your favorite page. It's my favorite illu illustration because she likes the way that they're holding the soap. <laughs> Honestly, I'm bored for you and your childhood. Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez, Purpose and Intuition Coach. And I'm Melissa Grushka, and I act like a child. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about children's stories and fairy tales. Bean, are you ready? I'm ready. What's up, Bean? Nothing. What's up? I feel kind of nervous that I have nothing to share right now. It's been like a slow uh -oh. week. I feel like things are chill. It's the middle of summer, even though this won't air yeah. till it's later. The end of summer. But you know how it's like. No, this should air like in August. Oh, cool. Well, right now it's the middle yeah. of summer and everything's vibing and we're all cool and chill. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it is pretty chill. I, it's not very chill here. We have lots of children in our house. As always, our dog got spayed. She has a cone head. She oh, keeps bumping into stuff. It's actually really sad. Oh, <laughs> She's girl. walking out of the door and she bumps into the door every time. And I didn't get much sleep last night. I think they have other things now that are not cones, but I'm, don't quote me on that. They're soft. Yes. But they can work around them and then it Ugh, it's mooses. Moot. Silly gooses. Moot. Um, anyway, yeah. anything cringy go on for you no. in your slow week? No cringiness, but we were just briefly discussing how Jonah Hill is struggling with some cringiness right now. And that oh, Jonah Hill's cringy right now. Well, that says some people. So I, I thought perhaps we could get into that because I would oh. like to be schooled on on my perspective. Why do you want to be schooled on your perspective? Why don't you school me? Because I know there's going to be another side and I don't really feel that strongly that I feel like I need to school. And I know people are really up in arms. So I know that I must be viewing this incorrectly yeah. if, if the majority of people are responding in the way that they are. Are you <laughs> slightly biased because of how much we love Superbad? I'm going to say no. I'm I think maybe I'm biased because of how much I love therapy and I think that this was <laughs> yeah. something he uh, a tool he was given that he implemented. I can understand where the the dressing situation and telling her like who to hang out with and not hang out with is a problem, but at the same time, on the same note, don't you have, like aren't there probably people in your husband's life or in your kid's life who you're like I don't totally want you to hang out with that person all the time because they're kind of a little, you know, maybe not the best influence or I bet your husband says that about me. I don't know that it's the same thing. Like my husband's life and my kid's life, my job is to parent my kids. My job is not to parent my right. husband. You're totally I right. think that's I think that's actually the problem. Anyway, wait, you got to say what happened for anyone who first of all, we're late. This episode's coming out later than this is, you know, <laughs> happening currently. It's old news. So if you don't know and you're not on Instagram on E, now you know. Now you know. Jonah Hill, some um, chats for between him and his ex-girlfriend resurfaced while well, she released them intentionally to show that he, um, I guess, was emotionally abusive, according to her terminology, uh, yeah. during their relationship where he laid out specifically um, a list of like, I don't even know, 10 things that he said this isn't cool with me. If this is something you need, we cannot be in a relationship. Like he said, this isn't, these are my boundaries. I think that's the word. What did he say though? What were the boundaries? Can you list them? Can, can I look them up really fast? Or do you just totally. want me to like, do you just want me to like, 
No, do it. I want you to read the text messages to us. Wait, it just, the first article that comes up says, the Jonah Hill texts highlight how easily boundaries can be misunderstood. Correct. That's my take, but I'm waiting for you to give me your take. Um, Wait, hold on. Let me see if I get them right. Let's do a little pop culture quiz. Let me list them and you tell me if I got them all, Bean. Tell me I'm not always down for a pop quiz. I'm going to list them. You tell me if I got them right. I think they're even in this order. Surfing with men. Correct. Verbatim. Um, hanging out with girls that are un- that are trash, basically. I don't know what word he He's, uses. No. Well, let's clarify. He said, who are in unstable places and from unstable. your wild recent past beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful. <laughs> okay. So in unstable places, which is... Anyway, I won't give my opinion. Objective. And then... Totally. And then um, wearing certain bathing suits? Taking um, pictures. Posting pictures of yourself in a bathing suit. Yes. Posting. Okay. Those are the three. Is there more? Boundaryless, inappropriate friendships with men and to model or to post sexual pictures. Wait, modeling goes against his boundaries? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's mm. a little silly. In To post pictures of yourself in a bathing suit. Listen. I, there's definitely a lot of misogyny in here. I can hear it. I can see it. At the same time, he's just saying, he wasn't saying you need to stop this. He was saying, in my opinion, if we are going to make this work, these things don't work in my life. And he says, I am not the right partner for you. Right. Implying like, that's cool if that's the vibe, if that's like the avenue that you are going to go on, but then we yeah. aren't, we don't work together. He's not saying like stop it or I'll kill you. He's saying if that's if those are your choices, they don't work with what I'm looking for in a relationship, whether that's correct or incorrect. And I think he almost kindly said, "I am not right for you," rather than blaming her and saying you're not right for me. He was saying, "Then I I'm not a good fit for you." Then like I can see that okay. that's important to you. Okay, <laughs> go I go. I'm trying really hard to stay silent. There's a way of doing that without gaslighting the person into believing there's something inherently wrong and flawed with them. And boundaries, which is a word he uses a lot, are about what you are going to um, have in your environment. They are not about – it's about what you're going to allow, right? Correct. But it's not about controlling someone else's behavior. Boundaries are never about controlling someone else's behavior. It's about making a decision for yourself if the behavior is acceptable for you. So if this is about boundaries and not gaslighting, misogyny aside, because the misogyny is what's telling him that it's okay to say she can't post pictures in a bikini. So like, correct. Fuck that. Yes. Agreed. That aside, um, the, the emotionally intelligent boundaried way is to just make a decision. You know what? This relationship just isn't working for me. Period. Not making her feel like the things she's doing are what are so disgusting and flawed. There's a judgment of her actions that is belittling. Okay. That has nothing to do with his boundaries. Like if those are your boundaries, you don't have to belittle someone else. Just have your boundary. You don't have to make her feel like she's a horrible, terrible person. And if she wants to be with you, by the way, if you look at all the text messages, there's a lot of trying to convince her to stop doing those things. Oh, I didn't. I only looked at that one little snippet where he, I think, very clearly lays out what he needs in a relationship um, and then says, if this isn't 
if you can't commit to this, then I'm not right for you. But what you need in a relationship is the way you want to be treated, not what the autonomous oh, other independent oh, oh. human being does on their own time as I an mean, independent autonomous listen, person. Listen, I'm all for independence. But like, what if she wants to hang out with dudes all the time? And he was like, I don't really love you hanging out with dudes all the time. If she wants to hang out with dudes all the time and he doesn't trust her, then it's not about dudes all the time. It's about what's going on in the relationship where there's no trust. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I worked with dudes all the time. We would go out and party and drink because we were whatever, having an event or whatever we were doing. Like if my then boyfriend, now husband was like, you're hanging out with too many of your dude team members, I'd be like, get lost. Wow. Don't you trust me? No, but I feel like that's a common issue in in relationships where there's jealousy and there is insecurity. Yes. So go work on yourself with your therapist and figure out why you have such a hard time trusting this person and you feel so insecure when they're hanging out with the opposite sex. That's his problem. Yes, I understand. That's a him problem. That is not a her problem. Wait, so wait, wait. I listen. I feel like I'm going to be canceled immediately. But like again, I'm canceling you. Two oh, episodes man. in a row, you're oh, canceled. Nuts. Um, swiper, oh, no nuts. swiping. Uh, so, so. Oh my okay. god, your cringe moment is the video you sent me of doing takes of Dora the Explorer <laughs> with your child trying to record you, and you couldn't keep a straight face, and you kept laughing. That was oh. so funny. Anyway, and then sorry, I sent it to you, Dora. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I feel like in relationships, like, uh, I like I don't think my husband, which again, I guess would be his issue, would be cool if I was just hanging out with guys all the time. Not even that is a his that is a him issue. Okay. Even if he trusted me, even if I trust my husband, I don't know if I necessarily want him because things happen, like unexpectedly. Things just happen. I mean, you have to control yourself. I feel like I gotta stop talking. <laughs> things happen when you have other things going on. Things don't happen when you're in a solid communicative relationship where you're on the same page. And even if something happened, you would communicate about it. It doesn't have to be the end of the world. What if he did communicate about all of these issues prior to these texts and she just sort of blew him off? And then he came in and emailed these texts and was like, just like reiterating everything we went over. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think a difference would be like my boundary is I do not want to be in an open relationship. So I am not okay with you not being monogamous with me. That's a boundary. Don't hang out with other dudes. Sounds like a, I am not secure in myself. And therefore, when you're around other men, I get nervous. That is not for her to manage. That's for him to go do double therapy on. I don't know. I feel like that's easier said than done. I feel like the majority of the world probably has some level of discomfort when their partner is hanging out repeatedly with member a member of the <laughs> of the same sexual orientation as their own. I know what you're saying, but I reject it because uh-huh. I think it's um it's Accepted. it's founded on us having to manage other people's insecurities right. for them, which right. does not allow them to grow. So I'm a hundred percent against all right being all in a right. relationship that way. But anyway, if you put it in context of all the other list of things he has, like the the things she wears and yes, the friends that I didn't she chooses, like, like the fact that he has a commentary on whether her friends are stable or unstable, like what do you know truly about these people genuinely? It doesn't sound like he's really gotten to know them or understands them holistically and like he's judging them based on 
whatever he's seeing again, based on his insecurity that they're going to somehow influence her to some, right? This was my first thought and I'm totally making this up. But my first thought when I read that was perhaps she had some sort of drug issue and she was hanging out. Oh my God. And she was hanging out with like old drug addict friends. And even though she's clean, that would be of concern. (laughs) You know what I mean? Wait, but did you see how much you just added in there? Totally. I'm just saying I I could see though, depending on the situation, how that could be understandable. Here's my question to you then, rather. Okay. How should he, it, with these um, concerns of his, how would it have been appropriate and effective for him to communicate that those behaviors, whether or not it's correct or incorrect, don't work for him? I'm noticing I'm really uncomfortable when you're in these groups and I'm not there. And I'd love to just be able to keep talking to you about it. I know this is a me thing and I'm going to keep trying to figure myself out and figure out what my trigger is. But I just want to be honest that it makes me uncomfortable. And you know what? Like there's nothing to do about it on your end. It's just just knowing that that's where I'm at. Yeah. What types of behaviors are acceptable for calling out like when they're directed at you like I don't like the way you speak to me? Something like that. A boundary is about how people treat you. It is not about what they do in their autonomous body and lives. So a boundary could be like my boundary with my husband is when you're frustrated, I need you to go take a breath before you raise your voice at me. I don't want you to raise your voice at me. I will walk away if you raise your voice. Okay. That's a boundary because the yelling is happening to me, right? Right. The what Jonah here is saying is like, I don't think it's acceptable that you get frustrated over a mess in the house. So you need to change the fact that the mess makes you frustrated. That's my boundary. My boundary is you need to stop getting frustrated, which is not a boundary. That's a control over someone's behavior. So now what happens? Do we cancel Jones? Do we cancel Jonah Hill? I don't want to cancel anyone, man. I I don't know what I think about cancel culture. It's not fair because everyone has light areas and shadow areas that we are all working through. And when we decide to dispose of another human being, unless, of course, they're like causing significant harm. Right. Um, And by that, I mean, like, you know, there are situations where people who are in power abuse others who are not in power consistently over time and oppress them. Then, yes, there needs to be a change. But the problem with like canceling an individual is that we aren't looking at all the things within them that just need to heal so that they can be redeemable again. We're just deciding we're going to throw you away. You don't have value. And we're not allowing for forgiveness, which I think is one of the greatest lessons of all time, is learning to forgive and move through and move on. Jonah, we will forgive you when you're ready. (laughs) Anyway... So, all right. Well, that, I think that's enough cringe. I don't even have. And honestly, I'm going to say that the cringiest part of my week was discussing this. <laughs> just like I knew it wasn't. Right. I knew something I was thinking couldn't be right based on everyone else's response. But I was like, why do I keep thinking this way? And now having you explain it, I'm like, oh, no. Am I going to be canceled? <laughs> oh, no. The cringiest part of my week was defending Jonah Hill on my podcast. (laughs) I like to see all sides of the situation. I also, I'm not saying I was like totally team Jonah, FYI. I totally see her perspective Uh, too. You imagined that the girl was a drug dealer. No, 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 not a drug dealer, that she had a storied past and perhaps 
he was on, un- maybe she has grown and evolved past it. And it, ugh, I don't want to talk. I'm getting cringed out again. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> we'll just, re- we'll, we'll walk it back. It sounds like oh, you're shit. not team Jonah anymore. I was never team anyone. I just felt like I could understand. And I thought that he, I really liked the particular line that said, I'm not the right partner for you. I thought that was very, I thought that was the anti-gaslighting. But because not- you did something that is shameful and hideous. You are the reason I, I am not the right partner for you. Not I am the reason. Anyway, we should probably move on. Okay. <laughs> Let's just do a whole <laughs> session on Jonah Hill. Let's go into some like really light stuff, Ooh. like children's books. Let's I'm go so through. excited for this episode. I, I'm going to say this was, I, was this your idea? This was our producer Armand's idea. Oh, yeah. And at first it seemed a little silly. And now it's like very heartwarming and lovely. And I'd like to hug you and hug Armand. Hug Armand. <laughs> um, because Armand said to us, we were having a planning meeting and he's like, you talk so much about limiting belief systems. Like, where do children's books play into building our limiting beliefs? And both of us were like, oh, yeah. Then we started reminiscing about our favorite children's books. And our most traumatizing children's books. Of course, we had the same anxieties over the same children's books. So depressing. No wonder (laughs) we're such great friends. Wait, so what we thought we'd do is read each other our favorite children's books from childhood but before we do that bean yeah maybe we talk a little bit about the history of children's books and why they were even (gasps) a little history moment okay are you down for that always okay so children's books have all and fairy tales have been this mechanism over the last few centuries of delivering morals right to teach kids how to be good human beings right Good kids and good human beings. But, of course, it's a little more sinister than that. Because white people miss the mark, as always. <laughs> Again. Anyway, so, okay, so in the 1700s, a lot of this kind of teaching children about morals through stories was through, what's the book? What do you think? Wait, in Guess the 1700s? It. Yeah, like what? what book would be used? The Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So the Bible. Bible. Winner. Yeah. The Bible was really the first kind of tool that introduced story for children, well, for everyone, right? Around um, learning. And uh, then have you heard of there's another book that we grew up with? The Torah. Remember Aesop's Fables? Yeah. <laughs> the Torah. Aesop's Fables. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, there were all these stories about like yeah. spider and monkey and rat and like yeah. the way that like spider was so smart and would get away from. Did you read that a lot? It was read to me. I mean, whatever. You know what I mean. Yeah. I get yeah. It. I, it was yeah, not yeah. a big in my home library growing up. In your home library. No, yeah. it wasn't in our home, but it was in school a lot. But anyway, so Aesop's Fables and then you had these Greek and Roman classics. And really the point of these stories, again, in the 1700s, were to instill Puritan values, uh, how not to get yourself into trouble. And the people, you know, in these stories that would always like follow ego 
or desire would end up in these like crazy flames of hell. Or Maybe Jonah Hill needs hell. a little Aesop fable. You know what I mean? A fable. I mean- no, but the problem here is if you think about like the way we've been talking about limiting belief systems is the conditioning that starts here around what good looks like yes, and how being Puritan and, you know, really following a linear buttoned up path of right and wrong makes you good versus bad. And then that's how we start to cast people as like, you know, terrible human beings versus good little kids. We were like, let's do a lighthearted episode on children's books. And you were like, you're all evil if you. (laughs) But that's what children's stories are. And then if you fast forward into the 1800s, you get into the fairy tale world, right? Like this is where we start getting Cinderella and Little Red Riding Hood. 1800s? Rapunzel, yes. I'm glad you're schooling me on the history because I would never have guessed. Rapunzel is 1800s? Yeah. Do you know the um, creator of all these stories? The Muffin Man? Who? The Brothers Grimm. Do you remember? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. But they're 1800s friends? Yeah. And the word Grimm comes from them. Oh. Because why? Can you like, what's the theme in things like Cinderella, Hansel and Gretel, Little Red Riding Hood? Like what is going on? Dead moms, lots of dead moms, lots of morbid themes. There's always this like dark underbelly. (gasps) Grim. Yeah. There's always a witch. There's always, right? There's always temptation to go to the dark side. The apple. Sexy. I don't know if he was going for sexy, but he was like, let's make it sexy. Let's put in like an (laughs) apple or like some, bake the kids in the oven, like keep it sexy. But do you know what I just learned through our producer's excellent research? The entire point of this, so the Brothers Grimm were German. This is pre-World Wars, obviously. It was to help create a unified vision for a German nation. Oh, no. The Jews oh, are out. Oh, no. Uh-oh. This is where I knew I'd get you. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think the Jews are part of that nation. Right. So starting oh, no. to cast, like, certain people as evil and bad and then really start to look at, well, what does it look like to unify around a vision of good and, like, good versus evil and good winning <gasps> and the, the attributes you have to have to be good, to win. What are the attributes? Well, think like, what do you, actually, it's a good question. If you think about these fairy tales, what are the attributes of the heroines or or the good side? They're blonde. They're blonde. They're super innocent. They're sweet. They love animals. They're kind of like me. (laughs) Yeah. They're a little dumb. They are? They're a little, the evil side is always smarter. They're more, okay, fine. More sly. They're more sly and clever, the in, the evil ones, I would agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the good side is all of those things of like being really innocent, sweet, demure. They sing so nicely. They sing. They dream a lot. Oh. Yeah, I know. So anyway, as you start to see this idea of like fairy tales proliferating as a way to get to kids early and teach them about these things. Um, you also start to see books that come out again in this era in the 1800s that have a commentary on other territories outside of Europe. So books like the Jungle Book, which have a connection to imperialist colonialist projects in Europe to go colonize areas of Africa and India and Asia. Mm -hmm. The Jungle Book is a way of kind of indoctrinizing, indoctrinizing, indoctrinating, (laughs) indoctrinating kids uh, and and society uh, around the concept of civilized 
and what uncivilized is and what civilized looks like. I almost don't want to hear this so that I can just go back to I'm enjoying sorry. my <laughs> my uh, my you know children's books. I'm sorry. All right. Well, well, you know what? I will fast forward. We're going to start to get to the 1900s. All right. I'm which here is, for it. So that was like kind of seen as the first golden age of children's books was fairy tales in the 1800s, the Brothers Grimm. The second golden age is between the 40s and the 70s with authors like C.S. Lewis. Whoop, whoop. Do you remember The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe? Don't ask me silly questions. Of course I I remember. was obsessed with that story. A- Court. Everybody was. Tell me you didn't check the back of your closet like 17 times. Just to totally. make sure. I bet everybody And I thought was. Aslan was my friend. Oh, Aslan. Remember that lion? Yeah. Aslan. Um, Roll Dahl. Oh. Do you remember? They're obviously, very Matilda, dark and James yes. and the Giant Peach. Yes. Um, and then our friend, Dr. Seuss in the 40s and 70s. From the 40s our to the 70s. And so friend. this was really – Think about that as the golden age. Like, think about how many stories that we grew up with came out of that period right a before lot. we were born, right? A lot. Bernstein Bears, one of my classic favorites. Mm. They're actually the Bernsteins are from where I live. Stop it. Wait, how do you know that? Where does it say that? They're from Doylestown. I think they're from Doylestown. I live in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Write that down, and I'm pretty sure. I'm going to just fact check that real quick. Google while it while you tell me more stuff. Google it right now. Where are the Berenstein Bears from? Stan and Jan were, were both raised in Philadelphia. Correct. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. They died in Solberry Township, which is 12 minutes from my house in Doylestown. Yep. They live Ooh. here. Rest in peace. Wait, you said the Berenstein Bears are from there. No. Not the authors the of authors. the Berenstein Bears. I thought you were telling me that the... The land that the bears lived in is supposed to be Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which... No, but kind of. Bucks County, PA. I mean, I'm not going to lie. The Bernstein Bears, it's very, like, trees and picturesque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fences. (laughs) Wait, what was it about the Bernstein Bears to you that was so endearing? Probably that they would, like, keep messing up, but they would always pull it together with a nice bow. They figured it out. And they were bears. It was just adorable. They always Who figured it out. Bears? The siblings like would fight, but then come back together. The parents like were always, they'd be mad about their misbehavior, but then they would kind of really like bring it back home and, and correct them in the best way or correct. Maybe I'm wrong. And you're like, no, it was all misogyny and patriarchy. No, 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 and I'm no. like, oh, I loved <laughs> oh, it. God, <laughs> I'm ruining everything for you. No, I loved it because of the way the four of them always like were together. Team play. Yeah. Like this, yeah. The togetherness of that family yeah. was, well, now I will bring you down and tell you that <gasps> I did little me reading that book with a single mom often feel like there was something fundamentally fractured in my life. How about their cute house that's a tree and how the grandparents always come over? How adorbs are their grandparents? So cute. Did you ever have the sticker book where you got to put the like basket of apples into the scene? What? You know, are you talking about, what are those called? I can't keep Googling. I feel like this whole episode is going to be me Googling things. <laughs> the ones that you could stick and restick. Are you talking about those yes, from the 80s? Yes. I didn't yes. have Bernstein Bears books like that. Wow, you missed out. I'm going to send you one. So you know what? Your single mom life wasn't too bad after all. No, because I at least had the stickers. I just got those basic bitch plain pages. It's in the mail, Bean. It's coming. Anyway, so Berenstein Bears. Um, You also see at this point um, starting to have political commentary come through 
these kinds of books, especially um, with Dr. Seuss, who wanted Oof. to talk a lot about like unity, um, you know, treating our planet um, nicely. Yeah, but he's so canceled. He's a little canceled. I mean, we'll talk about that in a minute. But the Lorax is an example where it criticizes like what corporate corporations and yeah. capitalism is doing to our right? planet. Like, fuck yeah, Dr. Seuss, you get it. And this was your, this wasn't even now. Imagine if Dr. Seuss had a, a taste of right Dr. now. Dr. Seuss would have a heart attack oh, right my. now. Actually, do you want to hear a little bit about Dr. Seuss? Please. I was hoping you would He was share. a college student at Dartmouth in the 20s. Oh, look at him. His name is Theodore Geisel. Um, he was caught drinking gin along with nine other classmates. That's why his books sound so silly. He was drunk. Because <laughs> he was drunk the whole time. No, this is in college. So because of prohibition, he basically was asked to resign from all his extracurricular <gasps> activities at Dartmouth, which included he was the editor in chief of the student magazine. Oh, no. So he continued, though, discreetly to illustrate for the magazine, you know, his little illustrations. Yeah, Obviously, I'm holding a book here with them. Anyway, he would illustrate for the magazine under the name Seuss. So that was his pseudonym to get around the expulsion of extracurricular activities that he faced for drinking in the 20s. Um, so then he's written all these amazing books. Can you list five Dr. Seuss books off the top of your head? Go. Yes. <laughs> the Lorax, The Giving Tree, um, Cat in a Hat. The Giving uh, Tree? Isn't that Dr. Seuss? No. Meh. Oh, The Places You'll Go. Who, who okay. wrote The Giving Tree? I don't know. Now I have to Google. Uh, there's so many. There's so many. Don't stress me out. No, like do, this. you can't do five. I didn't. I just do four, but the okay. Giving Tree wasn't one. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, oh. Hey Siri, who wrote the Giving Tree? <laughs> it's Dr. Seuss, Brosif. It's not. I like. Can we bet? Yeah. What do you want to bet? How much do you want to bet? I want to bet that you send me the the same podcast mic that you have. That's nicer. Ooh. Okay. Cool. <laughs> You know who wrote it? I'm so upset with you because it's actually my favorite author. Who? From childhood. Shel Silverstein. Oh, which I was actually going to bring up because I love Shel Silverstein, but talk about so much. some freaking darkness in there, man. Wait. What was Shel on? What? what that happened? is some crazy stuff. I don't know. I feel like Shel was on That's shrooms different. the whole time writing these Where poems. the sidewalk ends. Do you so remember good. that? Of course. What? Um, I still read it with my kids. So good. Do you remember the mumps, the bumps, the... Purple up, humps. Yeah. The she didn't want to go to school. What you say? She it's didn't want Saturday to to today. Yeah, and then I'm going like, out oh, to play. I'm going out to play. Yeah, girl. He was awesome. He, you're right. He was a little funky. But you know what? That was the '80s, man. You need to reread it. It wasn't. It's not just funky. Oh. It's like the, you're like, whoa. Now as an adult, you're like, wow. What's wow? Happening he was here? out there tripping. Yeah. Totally. Oh, I like him even more. He had to have been. Plus, his illustrations like rock my world. His like pencil drawings. Yes, agreed. Rock my world. Oh, so simple. So simple, yet so complex and deep and lovely. It's scattered like in random places. Not every page has some amazing drawing. Anyway, yes. Very into shell. Back to Dr. Sue's getting canceled though. Oh yeah. So this is what's been happening over the last decade or so. Is a lot more awareness about about him, his political kind of views, the way that he did um, illustrations, the way that he kind of um, showed stereotypes. So if you look at some of his illustrations, he did a lot of political cartoons um, and he uh, had a lot of racist political cartoons, comics, 
and things like that that were published in newspapers and magazines where I think there's one I saw like you see uh, someone from Africa and they're really like drawn as a native who's savage. I think the word savage is somewhere around there or or implied in the illustration. And that's not the only one. There's hundreds of illustrations like that. He also supported the Japanese internment during World War II, obviously after Pearl that's Harbor when problem. the U.S. put a lot oh. of Japanese people in camps. Wait, what about there are some current books, I believe. I mean, I, I'm not saying that those are okay, but those were outside of the children's books. I do believe there are issues with some of his books. Yes. The Cat in the Hat. Um, yeah, Cat in the Hat. Has some connection to basically the way the Cat in the Hat is drawn and behaves is connected to the black, um, what is it, minstrel, like yeah. where people would do blackface and do mm-hmm. minstrel shows. So Cat in the Hat is is seen as being connected to that. that. That's what he drew on and was trying to bring to life in every time the cat in the hat showed up, it was like this black face or the black minstrel. But the, I will uh, say the scene. cat in the hat is supposed to be like a beloved figure, right? I know. But that's also when people had less awareness about these things and right. accepted them as the norm because someone with power put them out there into the mainstream and we all accepted it as fine. And now we're looking back at it through the lens of you know, being a little more awake and evolved and realizing, oh, shoot, that was super problematic, particularly if you are African-American, if you're a person of color, if you're from Africa, and Dr. Seuss is describing you as savage in a cartoon. That's I mean, terrible. Then that's, but yeah, uh, but my cat in the hat reference was the cat in the hat is beloved and he's fun and he does wild things and has a great time. Totally, because you don't see him as connected to the black men's right. world. Anyway, so that's that's the deal with Dr. Seuss. But with that said, let's read some Dr. Seuss books. <laughs> <laughs> let's highlight our favorite Seuss books. Okay, wait. So we we thought we'd do a little fun thing and read our favorite children's books to each other, but not the whole thing because, you know, we don't want to lose. I can't say this was my favorite. I'm going to say this was something that evoked extreme emotion from me. And I remember it so vividly, the emo- feeling it and having my mother read it. Although I will say my father read a ton of books to us too and would do voices. Oh yeah. That's the best where they yes, do voices. Yes. Super fun. I do voices. Okay. What is the book? All right. You want to go? Okay. I'm going to do it. I'm going to show it for those who can't see it. It's <gasps> Are You My Mother? Which I thought was Dr. Mother? Seuss, but is actually just part of the Dr. Seuss beginner book series written by P.D. Eastman. Who was a protege of Dr. Seuss and worked with him at Random House. <laughs> That's from our producers. <laughs> Write that down. But it is very, you can see there's a Seuss, there's a lot of Seuss undertones in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bean, are you my mother? Oh my God. I already, okay, can I just tell you the initial feeling as soon as you showed me that cover? What? My heart tightened. Yep. <laughs> I got super anxious. <laughs> Why are we like this? Okay, go. Read me a little bit of Are You My Mother? Okay, so I'm going to give you a real quick synopsis for those friends of ours who haven't read Are You My Mother. Uh, I'll give you the beginning before I read where I got to. Um, There's a bird. He's in his egg. His mom's like, oh, shit, this baby's about to come. I'm going to go get some food. So she flies out of the nest. He cracks open while she's gone and is like, where, oh who am I? Where am I? I know I have a mother, but like, where is she? So he just fucking falls. He literally falls out of the tree because he can't fly yet. Right. And then starts marching around town looking for his mama. 
And in fact, on his way to find her, he walks right by her while she's busy picking a worm out of the ground for him. Oh my God. That's an Easter egg though. Why? I don't think they say that. I think it's just in the illustration. No, it says. <laughs> it says he walks past his mom. The whole page. It, he goes, I will go find her. Then poor little dude falls straight out of his tree. Down, down, down. It was a long way down, it says. Oh, God. Thank God he survived that fall. And look, he didn't know what his mother looked like, so he went right by her and did not see oh. her. And at that point, you're like, bro, your mom is right there. Turn, look behind the rock. But you also don't realize at this point that this is going to be a harrowing journey. So you're kind of like, okay, fine. You walk past your mom. How silly. Silly little bird. But no, it gets darker. Halfway through the journey, you're like, oh, yeah. shit, I should have warned you. Yes, yes. So you got tummy aches. You got to hit the bathroom once or twice. <laughs> um, so he starts going up to all these animals. He's walking by all these animals. And he's like cheerful at first. You see, he's like, Bing is pointing up. He's like marching with pride. And he's going up to all these random animals that are not bird-like saying, are you my mother? Are you my mother? And they're like, no, bro. I'm a dog. Like, get out of here. And all these other guys. And then you can see as the story progresses, his little beak is going lower. You can see a look of sadness as he's realizing, I can't find my mother. So I'm in the middle when he gets up to a cow. And he's like, are you my mother? So he asks everyone, are you my mother? Are you my mother? The cow says, how could I be your mother? Said the cow. I am a cow. First of all, why are they so rude to this baby chick? Yeah, why do you have to be like, can I help you find your mom? Right. Like some patience would be nice. So he had already seen all these things. So the next front page says the kitten and the hen were not his mother. The dog and the cow were not his mother. Did he have a mother? Yes. Oh my God. Right? No. I'm like holding back tears. It's like probably 7.30 at night. My mom's reading this. I'm like trying not to cry worrying about this bird. And then he says, I did have a mother, said the baby bird. I know I did. I have to find her. I will. I will. Then he starts up talking to inanimate objects like a bulldozer. (laughs) Like he's so desperate to find his mom and find her love. Wait, wait. at this point, were you kind of like, oh, you're a little special. You're a little dumb. No, he just cracked out. He doesn't know anything. It's like telling a newborn baby that they're dumb. He doesn't know anything. Oh, I was a little judgmental. I got a little judgy at this point. Well, you need to check yourself. He's talking to a bulldozer. He's talking to a boat. I mean, like silly, an airplane. Come on, bird. You can't see, but he's frantically running after the plane. He is desperately running. I mean, the look on his face is sheer terror. The airplane's taking off. He is chasing this airplane, screaming, are you my mother? Not only that, he's like, that thing flies. I'm supposed to fly. So maybe, maybe that's it. Oh, that is smart. And he says, here I am, mother. He yells at the plane. Oh, it's oh, not no. your mother. Then he's like getting really sad. You can see him on this rock and he's like, ooh. Devastated. He's devastated. And then he's like, there she is again to some fucking bulldozer, bro. Like, come, come on, on, Mr. Bro. Bird. And then he's like, that the machine doesn't say anything. However, it does then lift him back up into his nest that he fell out of. And as he was returned to his nest, he says, where am I? Or as he's being raised up, he says, where am I? Said the baby bird. I want to go home. I want my mother. (laughs) And then he drops bro in the nest. He doesn't realize that that's happening. And just as he does, his mom flows back with the worm (laughs) to give to him. And she says, do you know who I am? It's like, yeah, man, now I do. And they're reunited. And thank God, because my little heart couldn't take it if that young man did not find his mother. 
Right. I seriously feel all of the anxiety from my childhood when my mom would read me this book because I was convinced then I didn't know where my mom was <laughs> and she was right next to me. Reading you the book. So I wonder for people who didn't have my for, – for reference, Maury and I both had major separation anxiety issues from our yeah. mother even into adulthood. Um, right. And like over, over attachment, like we were just so concerned about them all the time. Um, yes. And like anything happening to their well-being. Uh, and I felt that way even as a child that this just really tore me up inside. But now I'm curious if people didn't have that dynamic with their mother, if they just saw this as like a silly little book, whereas I'm talking about it 40 years later on a podcast. No, I absolutely think that if people did not have the kind of insane, intense separation anxiety that you and I had, this book wouldn't have been so traumatic. But I swear to you, when you showed me that aqua cover with the dog and the bird, my heart clenched. I can't even breathe a little bit with you saying that. Yeah, right? Because my little, like, my little five-year-old anxiety came back. And when I was five, it was literally the thing I worried about the most was, like, losing my mom. Yeah. I think I still worry about it a lot. Why are we like this? Whoa, Bean. That really, I wasn't expecting to have, I mean, if you really want to go there, like puff, puff, pass right now. I think it has a cool metaphor for like, you go through these things in life that feel so devastating. Like as he's getting raised up and he's like, I just want to go home. And like, we all know you're going home. You're good. But the bird is in the midst of the devastation and doesn't know that he's ending somewhere that he wants to be. And that's how I see like when we're supported by the universe and we're like, I just want this. And the universe is like, I'm getting you there. You're good. You're okay. But we don't see it. That is uh, that is a hot take on Are You My Mother? And you know what? Now I'm going to flip <laughs> the script and I'm only going to view it through that lens and not feel tremend- like I need a Xanax every time I see the cover of the book. Well, then there you go. We just healed your trauma. Thank you for that. Wait, have you read this book to your children? Well, I so I had to order it because I, I can very much even recall where it was on my bookshelf at home when totally I was growing same. up. But yeah. for some reason, somehow it didn't make it into my children's library. I think because it's like so traumatizing for me. <laughs> so I did have to order it. Um, and then when it came and I opened it and I saw the turquoise blue cover, I had the exact same reaction that you did. So I started to read it to my kids and they kind of just walked away while I was doing it. Like, Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> See you later. They were like, this is so dumb. But I kind of feel like my kids would probably have the same reaction I would. Like, oh, so sad. Because you can see on the bird's face throughout that he's getting more and more panicked and worked up. And he's the baby. He's a little baby. You know what, though? I mean, good job not passing your anxiety to your children because they didn't have I work really hard on it. <laughs> but the fact that they didn't have the same reaction means you like stopped that generational cycle right there. Yes. My Ta-da. mother had it with her mother too. Like she had that. Exactly. And her parents. Yeah. Same thing. And you ended it. Did I though? I don't know. We'll yes. see. Because I'm still we'll struggling with We'll check with them with in it. 10 years. Okay. Because I struggle with it still as an adult with my own parents and worrying about their well-being. And Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I get yes. it. Thanks. I'm with you. All right. Well, are you ready to be cheered up? Because there is no way of being sad during my favorite book. I can't even imagine like ha- what commentary you're going to have on One Fish. When you said that was going to be your book, I was like, what could she po- – like this is just the craziest all o- over the place book. Like what could she possibly say about it? It barely even makes sense. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish by Theodore Geisel. I mean Dr. Seuss. Okay, listen. I'm not going to read this whole book. It really – okay. Wait. 
What are the two thoughts you had about this book as a child? What are the two biggest thoughts you had? Nothing. I mean, it's kind of all over the place. I didn't have thoughts on it as a child. I see that you did. Did you like it? It was not my favorite of the Seuss books, but I liked it. Fine. Why didn't you like it? Why didn't you like it as much? I felt like there was less of a storyline, maybe. Yeah. It was a little all over the place. That's exactly yeah, yeah. Okay. My two thoughts were, oh my God, it's so silly. There's so much silliness I'm about to experience in this book. And then the second was, oh my God, it's so long. It is long. Like, it is long. It, it can, do you know how many pages this book is? You know, Are You My Mother was longer than I thought it would be too. Kids have less patience these days. That's true. It's 63 pages long. Of like complete nonsense and chaos. Nonsense and <laughs> chaos. All right, let's read a little bit of it. Did you know that this book starts with the Lorax saying, from there to here, from here to there, funny things are everywhere. I just realized that as an adult, the Lorax is the one who introduces this book. Was it always like that or is that like a new edition? It was always like that. I don't remember that. Do you? Right. No. I also don't remember in Are You My Mother, the bird walking past the mother. So clearly. Right. All right. So one fish. Okay. First of all, I just have to say something. I want so badly to read this with my mom's accent because the first time I read an English speaking teacher read this book in like kindergarten. You were like, that sounds Literally, I was like, no, I was like, they're reading it wrong. Oh, because my mom, who, by the way, my daughter does an impressive accent. You know what? what? We'll get her to read it. And for those of you that are still listening, at the end of the pod, this episode, we're just going to insert Raina reading this in my mom's accent. How about that? Wait, but can you also do the accent? Because I've never met an accent of yours that okay, I didn't she love. She would do it like this. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, black fish, blue fish, old fish, new fish. <laughs> I can see the pictures. But Raina will do it way better. So if you guys are interested, hang on till the end. We'll put that in there. Anyway, this one has a little star. This one has a little car. This fish has a car. Beam. It's adorbs. And I love that the star and he's pointing at it. I, I do enjoy that page in particular. Say what a lot of fish there are. There are. Some are red and some are blue. Some are old and some are new. Some are sad and some are glad and some are very very bad this sounds though like pretty inclusive don't you think i agree some are red some are happy some this is like people are everywhere and they're all kinds of things exactly and they're all different so anyway it goes okay this was my favorite page so it goes on and on to bean's point it is just so much nonsense like the moon was out we saw some sheep we saw some sheep take a walk in their sleep by the light of the moon by the light of a star, they walked all night from near to far. I would never walk. I would take a car. A same Seuss. <laughs> same Z's. All kinds of things. But my favorite page, for some reason, I really want to have you tell me why, since you know me better than anyone. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to show you the picture. <laughs> it says, this one, I think, is called a yink. He likes to wink. He likes to drink. He likes to drink and drink and drink. The thing he likes to drink is ink. The ink he likes to drink is pink. He likes to wink and drink pink ink. So if you have a lot of ink, then you should get a yink, I think. Well, I couldn't tell you for the I would, I would guess maybe the pink of the drink is what drew you to it. But other than that, I can't say. And I don't encourage anyone to drink ink. Don't drink pink ink. I don't know why I loved it. I think because pink was my favorite color. I think maybe it's that I simple. just said it was probably like that. 
Wait, but wasn't there another page that you liked? I, I believe you shared this with me. I shared this with one of our producers and Bean in the beginning because there's a... Okay, so the t- text says, it is fun to sing if you sing with a ying. My ying can sing like anything. I sing high and my ying sings low and we are not too bad, you know. But the picture is of the ying, which kind of looks like the cat in the hat. Wait, is the ying and a yink? A yink and a ying? So close. Yeah, they're too... I know. He couldn't come up with like a totally different, he couldn't rhyme like something else. It's a lot of things to rhyme. 63 pages of rhymes and and crazy wacky characters. Wild and crazy guys. <laughs> I would really like to say that that your favorite page. It's my favorite Ill- illustration because she likes the way that they're holding the soap. <laughs> Honestly, I'm bored for you and your childhood. <laughs> that that was appealing to you because of how their hands held the soap bars. <laughs> I said, I said, Bean, look at this illustration. Did you love this? She was like, no. I was like, I loved it Plus because of the like, way they're holding this. And they're like holding it incorrectly. They're like using their middle finger. It almost looks awkward. And you were like, I like I the shape like- of the soap. Mm. Anyway, again, I'm sad for you. So it ends with, yeah. And now good night. It's time to sleep. So we will sleep with our pet Zeep. Today is gone. Today was fun. Tomorrow is another one. Every day from here to there, funny things are everywhere. Tomorrow is another one. And that's the message <sighs> I would like to take away from that I part. agree. Well, what- I don't know that this had too many limiting belief systems for me. I think it made me chuckle and laugh and just enjoy the silliness that is Dr. Seuss. Well, then I'm glad you picked it for a book about uh, that we were trying to show <laughs> to uh, exemplify limiting beliefs. Well, all right. All right. If I really had to tell you, I think there's there's a couple things. There is a way that all these funny things are like providing a service. Like one is pushing the bike. The other is opening cans. Yeah, their weirdness is valuable because they're doing something for these kids. Maybe. But I don't think I took that from it as a kid. You're really stretching. I think the bigger one is... Um, you know, the kids are involved in this experience in the book. And so this land of silliness only is available to children is a limiting belief. Like we, I think one of our biggest sadnesses Aww. is that we get disconnected from our childhood, like wonder and yeah. joy. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of this book, I think, connects you to that as a kid. Um, but maybe the limiting belief here is that this is only available in the world of children because you see children engaging in it. But I like his message at the end where he says, look around and there's silliness everywhere. You know what I mean? There, Honestly, there is silliness everywhere. Weird pl- things are everywhere. No, I don't think I picked a hugely limiting belief system book because I genuinely followed the prompt, which is just pick your favorite one. All right. But you tell me, what is the limiting belief system of Are You My Mother? Again, I don't know if this really applied to me. I guess it did apply to me based on everything I said. Just that you... Are nothing without like your, you need to have these figures in your life to be able to be okay and be safe. Whereas mm-hmm. there's so families look like so many different things and love and That's life true. looks like so many. And you know what? He had some sense of something. He like knew that the plane flew. And so he, his intuition was definitely speaking to him, but ah. he was like, it doesn't matter. I just have to find someone who can tell me that things are right. I yeah. agree that yours definitely, if you don't have a mom- Right. Like it really makes you feel like that's your only sense of security. Right. Which is a limiting belief. You could have lots of caregivers around you who give you security. Oh, do you know so what I, I could just see noticed that. too? What? That the last page, you know how like at the end they have like a picture from the book? They reuse yeah. the picture where he walks by his mother. 
and yes. doesn't spot her. So close yet so far. So far. What away. does it all mean? <laughs> I wonder if Petey Eastman had mommy issues or like anxiety about his mom. Clearly he did. You'd have to to come up with that story. Perhaps. That's like perhaps. something you and I could have written if we <laughs> met at five and said, let's collaborate on a project. Let's get some sad little bird who can't find his mom. <laughs> anyway, those are our favorite books. I would love to hear from you guys what your favorite books are. But I do think it's important to think critically about how these books created ideals in us about what bad is, what good looks like, you know, what you need to do to be lovable or be a good kid. I think it definitely starts with these kinds of fairy tales. I don't think One Fish, Two Fish did that for me, um, <laughs> other than I know not to drink pink ink. And if you I did, though, red, I get a yink. Blue. Yeah. But Bean, I mean, you have younger kids than me. I do. So I'm curious if you can talk about, like, what are some favorites today? And, like, what trend are you seeing in children's books now well, I was in the say, modern era? When you were saying that it talks to you about this very specific way of being and looking and what looks good is that now there are so many more books about inclusivity. Um, and sadly, that are trying to be banned among many, many, Ooh. many school districts across this country. And if you can be proactive about um, the members of the school board around you and so that right to them. folks are not banned and make sure you're electing yes. people who share similar values. Um, anyway, yes. there is a lot of books about inclusivity, um, about skin color, about gender identity, about... Um, there's even a lot of things which I happen to also love about mindfulness and being more aware. Yes. Um, I have this one book that I pulled from my daughter's bookshelf that's called Mindful Moments at Bedtime. It's basically like um, a slight, a very simple, beautiful, like easy meditation for the kids to yeah. do before bed to get through it. My kid like won't even touch it now, but it would be helpful because yeah. she has tremendous nighttime anxiety. Um, yeah. Another majorly, majorly favorite book of mine. I'm going to pull it up because the cover is so sweet. It's called I Am Enough. Have you seen oh, this one? Look at her gorgeous hair. And my favorite page, it's all these different things and about loving each other. My favorite page says, I know that we don't look the same. Our skin, our eyes, our hair, our frame. But that does not dictate our worth. We both have places here on earth. And in the end, we are right here to live a life of love, not fear. So, oh, beautiful. I know. And there's all these beautiful messages about being who you are. A another author I happen to love who has super simple books and actually toured at my kid's school and they got some signed autograph books, which is cool, is Todd Parr. Do you know who Todd yeah. Parr is? No. He does these like really silly, easy, simple illustrations. And they're, it's all about like his one book is called Be Who You Are. And one's about like all my feelings. And it's about just encouraging kids to be their best have self. emotional and intelligence. That, have emotional intelligence and be proud of who they are and that it doesn't matter yeah. if you look like this or you sound like that or you don't know this and you do know that. Um, and there's I, another book that I got that I love for my oldest a few years ago is called Strong is the New Pretty. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's this- I haven't. It's a really I great love that book. Title. Mostly photographs and it's all these um, girls through, doing all these different activities, playing in the mud, um, being uh playing football and and really flipping all this gender identity bullshit over and showing that yeah. girls do anything girls can do anything too and it's all each page is like a little quote that the girl says all different oh. ages all from like four to like 18 and what these women and girls do and it's super cool it's not about like brush your long beautiful hair and you know it's about right. like do what you Be want your right it's totally yeah. flipping it and it's saying that 
and also I think that speaking to the fact that pretty is not the most important thing. Um, And then my last favorite book is this book called all the world. My favorite line is all the world is you and me. It's just, (gasps) it's the most beautiful. What's it about? It's just about these family, like going, doing these different activities and it's about community and love and acceptance. I'm going to actually send it to you. I think it is the most beautiful children's book. It was probably, it's probably from like 15 years ago. Um, But the long and short of it is, is that there's a lot of stuff, a lot of progressive literature out there now um, that is trying to be banned. Let's not let it. Um, There's even, I I actually even wrote down a couple places for anyone listening. I follow a great, uh, a great handle on Instagram called Here We Read. And she shares a lot of like Mm. really great inclusive books, um, mostly about people of color. Um, So it's great. And there's another website called Common Sense Media. Have you ever heard Mm. of that? Yes. Common Sense Media is what I go to every time the kids want to see a movie. Oh, you do? I'll go to Common Sense Media and read the reviews if it's appropriate for their age. Oh, that's really nice. So there's in their Mm -hmm. book section, there's a lot of like breaking it down by different really wonderful subjects that I think it's a great resource if you want to focus on something specific or broader, or I just think there's a lot, a lot, a lot out there now for our kids to understand that there's, we're so much more than Disney princesses and. Yes. Yeah. Yes. God, I remember the first time we saw that movie. um, God, who's the princess Merida? What's the name of that movie? Brave. Brave. I literally cried in the theater. Raina was, was five years old. Yeah. And I literally looked at her and my sister was there with me and I said, how amazing that she gets to grow up watching princesses totally. in Disney movies not ever get married or need a man to solve anything. And then Frozen comes out and the sisters are each other's hero. And like, oh obviously one God. after the other. Moana, like- Moana, the Disney, best. Yeah. Disney definitely course corrected. Thank God. But like, how cool that our kids get to see these like Have you ever women. seen Raya and the Last Dragon? Oh, I want to see that. Oh, Is it good? It's so beautiful. It's just I like a beautiful film. I don't have kids that'll film. see that stuff. Oh, my kids all like, just watch it. It's just a really beautiful yeah. film. And I'll watch it just, by myself. It's all these like really badass women in charge and very, you know, very into it. What else I love? What's that? Maybe we'll end on this note. Okay. Um, we talked about all of these fairy tales, right? Like Cinderella and Rapunzel and uh-huh. Little Red Riding Hood and how deeply problematic they are from a misogynistic and cultural standpoint. Um, you know the movie that was a Broadway show that my daughter was just in last fall, Into the Woods? I don't know it, but yes, I've heard grand things. I think it's it's like- grand. Yeah. I don't know why I wow. said that. Really I just pictured you with a top hat and – Yeah, when he said that. Anyway, um, it's by Sa- it was by Stephen Sondheim, the, the musical in the, I think, late 70s – or 80s, sorry, 80s. Um, and then it was turned into a movie that has like um, – Oh, my God. Now I'm going to forget all the people that are in it. We don't have to worry about that. Anyway, so it turned into a movie. But what I loved about it the first time I saw it is just like how ridiculous they show you that these tropes are. Like how ridiculous it is. Like how ridiculous they make Prince Charming and how much of a buffoon and like a misogynist a-hole they make him. And how, yeah, like how hilarious it is that these princesses are actually smarter than the princes and like the way that they play them. Oh, I would love um, Little Red being like. many people in this movie. Like crazy numbers. Meryl Streep, Emily Blunt, Anna Kendrick, James Corden, Chris Pine, Johnny Depp. Wow. Yes. All all good. Yeah. So anyway, I highly recommend it. But I do think I loved seeing that and being like, oh, look at how they turned 
all of the ridiculousness of these fairy tales into a story. And he did a really beautiful job with that. So anyway, things are a changing. Things are a changing. And thank God that the stories that we're telling our kids today are not as one-sided. They're not as judgmental. They're not designed to create so much shame around being different, but they're so inclusive. Like, that and makes you me really are happy. enough. I mean, I am enough. That's what the message often is, is that bring yourself and that's enough. Yeah, I love it. All right. Well, if you've stayed with us long enough, you get the treat of hearing Raina now read some One Fish, Two Fish in the accent of my mom. It's a real treat. Um, You're welcome. Enjoy, and we'll see you next week. Bye, Bean. Bye. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, black fish, blue fish, old fish, new fish. This one has a little car. This one has a little star. Say, what a lot of fish there are. Yes, some are red and some are blue. Some are old and some are new. Some are sad and some are glad. And some are very, very bad. This has been another episode of Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Grushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushri Thekadet, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islami. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then.